0: Dr. Robert Malone is a scientist who pioneered mRNA technology, the exact kind used in COVID 19 vaccines. He recently gave an explosive interview to The New American. He revealed details about the massive corruption in the CDC and the FDA, and he discussed why he believes our government is now lawless. Those are his words. I am Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. For this episode, I'm going to do something different. Veronica Kirilenko, a contributor for The New American Magazine, recently visited Dr. Malone at his home for what turned out to be a very revealing and candid interview. He ended up talking for over an hour. I've heard multiple interviews with Dr. Malone, and I think this is the best one. He pulled no punches. It seems like he's becoming more and more outspoken about the flagrant corruption in our government, and he's trying to get the word out. So for this episode, I'm playing this explosive interview. If you'd prefer to watch it, I've included a link to the video version of the interview. But whatever you do, make sure to share it with others. Enjoy the interview, folks.
1: Today, we have a privilege to speak with Dr. Robert Malone, an inventor of mRNA technology, one of the world's most qualified and also the most despised professionals. (laughs) who shares scientific information about COVID, vaccines risks, early treatments and people who shape the pandemic response. Dr. Malone, thank you very much for hosting us today. Well, it's you, a pleasure. Brenda,
2: thank you for coming and sharing uh, the day with us.
1: Doctor, if you don't mind, I would like to start with some basics. So the mass vaccination campaign uh, against COVID started uh, in March of this year. And of course, most people had no idea what are these vaccines are and what is the mRNA technology. So naturally, they turned to official sources to find some information. So the CDC website uh, describes uh, the technology like that. So it says that um, mRNA goes to your arm, mu- uh, shoulder muscle. It stays there. It teaches our cells how to produce a part of the virus, they call it a harmless particle, namely a spike protein of the virus that triggers the immune response. And then our cells uh, break down mRNA and get rid of mRNA within a few days after the vaccination. And since we know that you did not participate in the development of the COVID vaccines, is it the correct description of the technology that you pioneered?
2: In general, that's a pretty good, a, that's a pretty accurate assessment in a very simplified way. I'm not sure about the, how long the RNA stays And that statement, if that's what they actually say. There's no data to back that up, how long the RNA sticks around. There's a number, obviously the statement that the spike protein is harmless is also false, demonstrably false. it's it's a lie. It's a it's another one of the noble lies. The idea that it just stays in the arm muscle is also clearly a lie. Anybody that's looked at the regulatory dossier for the Pfizer or other products knows that this is not true. So if we were to give the benefit of the doubt, we could we could say that this is, Another example of kind of the the logic of the benign, noble lie, that we don't tell people the full story. We tell them a simplified story that is structured in a way that makes everything sound non-threatening.
1: So you say that mRNA actually does not stay in the muscle. It travels further. It travels to other organs throughout the body and it has been known and um, we know that a 2017 study published by the modern publication showed that liquid nanoparticle influenza vaccine that used mRNA technology actually traveled through the body. And then the Japanese government conducted a study on Pfizer shots by a distribution and it showed that the spike protein was found in other organs in human body and that in- included ovaries, spleen, liver. Was it not the signal for the vaccination campaign j- just to stop right away?
2: Okay, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit on what you just said because um, it's important that we get the details right. Uh, and this is the uh, what you're referring to, I believe, is what's called the common technical document. Uh, This is a dossier of information that is submitted to various government regulatory authorities by Pfizer. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the Japanese government performing a study, but rather it was the Japanese regulatory authority which disclosed a, a Pfizer document. And what's the nuance there that's important to understand is that our policies here in the United States with the FDA and with the European Medicines Agency is that those documents that are submitted by the developer of the product... um, I believe
1: that it was the study conducted by the regulatory government that found... It
2: was a Pfizer study Mm -hmm. that was submitted to the regulatory authorities and then was obtained by Byron Bridle and others. I was among the first to analyze it. It's important that it's actually Pfizer. Mm -hmm. And what it revealed was that the. Regulatory authorities across the world allowed Pfizer to submit a grossly incomplete document uh, in support of initiated clinical studies concerning the, uh, what we call now, Comirnaty, or Comirnaty, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, the BioNTech product. So in that set of studies, what was shocking to me and many others that reviewed them Again, this is a Pfizer-submitted document that became the basis for authorizing this thing to be used all over the world, is the regulatory authorities allowed Pfizer to take data that wasn't actually developed with this vaccine, that they'd developed for other purposes that didn't meet the standard regulatory requirements for rigor, for uh, how carefully the studies were done. it didn't meet the norms for ensuring that the studies were done in a well-controlled fashion, which is always required for clinical trials. Um, And they allowed Pfizer to use data that had been developed with other RNAs and other purposes and other formulations. It isn't the final formulation of the product. And submit that in lieu of actually doing the work that they needed to do. And Uh, that's always been required for vaccines, uh, you know, as far as my whole career, uh, and that the world has all agreed uh, that these are the way studies are supposed to be done. The the regulatory authorities across the world basically allowed Pfizer to submit, I'm just going to say it, junk data that wasn't related to the actual vaccine and use that to justify going forward in humans. Now, in terms of the biodistribution studies, which is what you're talking about, in particular, those were not done well, and they were done with other RNAs, including the RNA that encodes the protein that makes the firefly tail glow, which many people have gotten excited about the name of that protein, which is luciferase. Uh, So yes, it it refers to the devil in some ways, but in fact, this is a protein that I pioneered its use in animals uh, back in the 80s when I was at the Salk. Uh, And that's all it is. It's the protein that makes the firefly tail glow, which causes light to be produced, which is easy thing to detect, but it is not the vaccine RNA. Okay, So what they did in those studies that you're referring to is they did look at the distribution of the fat part. There's fats that are put around the RNA that allows the RNA to slip into cells. And those fats include things that are synthetic. They are made in a test tube. They're not a natural product. They're not something that your body would normally encounter. They are a new chemical entity, is the formal words. and. So typically with a new chemical entity that we're gonna inject into billions of people, um, there would be rigorous studies done about their safety, the biodistribution, how long that thing lasts, and whether it might cause damage to the DNA, genotoxicity, or the the ability of animals to reproduce reproductive toxicology, so birth defects and other things. Normally that would be required. What they did was very superficial experiments that were not well controlled. They didn't meet the normal standards. They didn't actually involve the actual drug product. What the studies that they did do showed in rodents was that when they inject it into muscle in these rodents, it distributes, the particles distribute all over the body. They don't stay put. Some of them do. Many of them go to other places. And they looked at whether the protein produced by the RNA So this would be akin to the antigen but they didn't look for spike protein because they weren't using spike protein mrna they were using firefly glowing rna luciferase and so they were looking for light production from the various organs and then they also looked for where the lipid part went the lipids go to the ovary and that was one of the things that caused a lot of people to say This, this needs to be followed up, this needs to have more rigorous testing, which wasn't done. They never forced them to do that, apparently. Um, and oddly, for the using the luciferase protein, there's a lot of different ways you can detect that protein. And to detect it very sensitively, if you really want to ask the question, where is the protein expressed? What you do is dissect, the, when you sacrifice the animal, you dissect all the different tissues, And you do a test tube assay that's super sensitive, and you can detect exactly how much protein is made in all the different tissues of the body, the brain, gonads, whatever. They didn't do that. They used the assay that is least sensitive, which is they take the whole animal and they inject the substrate into the animal, and then they look at how much light comes through the the tissue of the animal by putting a camera above the animal, and you can appreciate that these are photons. These are little, you know, you have some scientific background. You were talking about radiation. So the photons get diffracted, and basically the light that's detected by by the camera above the animal is only from the areas that have the strong, strong levels of luciferase expression. So they bias the results by using the least sensitive assay. It's basically a parlor trick to get your publications, you know, your picture on the front of science uh, magazine, but it's not a quantitative way. And I find the whole thing amazing and shocking about what was allowed to get through. Um, And perplexing, you know, that, that regulators the world over allowed themselves to be fooled by Pfizer with this data package is, is profoundly discouraging because it means that the gatekeepers that are supposed to ensure that you and I are protected, that your reproductive health is protected, um, that our children's health is protected, they didn't do their job. There's, there's no other way to put it.
1: Doctor, but we spent, I don't know, how many millions a year to actually pay their salaries at the FDA? And at the CDC, the world's top experts, I assume, work there. And they would need to look at that data and see all of these irregularities. And they would see that it is grossly incomplete. And they would still let it through.
2: Remember, it wasn't just the FDA and the CDC. It was also the European Medicines Agency, the the Japanese regulatory authorities. Okay. But there's, again, forgive me for correcting you, but there's some assumptions in what you said. You said the world's top experts. And that's not what we have anymore in these regulatory agencies.
1: We would expect that. <laughs> we would hope see. that,
2: right? That We would th- hope that that would need to be protected. Or if not, that if people like me were to call Peter Marks at Sieber the branch that controls vaccine licensure, and have a discussion with him about this finding and what was observed with this package, mm-hmm. that Peter Marks would say, hmm, maybe I got to listen to this guy. Maybe he's got something to say uh, and I ought to pay attention to him because, hey, he was the guy that came up with this technology and maybe he has some insights. So I made that call. I had that telephone conference and uh, Peter assured me that uh, that this would all be taken care of, that there was no safety signal to be worried about, and uh, that I should give him time to just let the regular process work through. Okay, so they completely, and I have other friends at the FDA that I had alerted about the potential risks with spike protein. And that information from those lower level people who are good solid scientists that I respect was sent up the chain of command Mm -hmm. and uh, the FDA was fully informed of that. And they believe that what I was alerting them to was not an important signal and they didn't, there was no cause for concern. So I I did do my job of, of saying, hey, my friends, please pay attention to these things. And the response I got was basically go away. We know what we're doing. But the truth is that they don't have experts that are deep in this kind of technology. And what they do do is they have checklists. So now you're assuming, for instance, let's talk about the FDA just for a moment. You're assuming there's a deep level of competency there. The truth is that they pay about 80% of market value, okay? And the people that work at the FDA up in Rockville are in a very expensive real estate market. So what you end up with is people that are kind of largely second grade. You know, if they could make big money working for Pfizer, they would. And many of them do when they leave, right? Mm -hmm. Like the former FDA commissioner Gottlieb, right?
1: That's right.
2: This revolving door, and then they go out and do that. But most of the folks that are operational, that are reviewing these documents, they're not the top tier scientists. They're often uh, foreign graduates, um, not US trained. I, I don't mean to be pejorative about scientists from other cultures, but they're here and English is not their first language. And the way that the FDA has come to work is they have checklists and they applied the vaccines checklist which assumes that it is a more traditional product a mm-hmm. purified protein that's injected with an adjuvant and they didn't apply the gene therapy checklist but in fact this is gene therapy technology applied to the indication of vaccines and so the things that they would normally do for any gene therapy technology they didn't do because they said oh this is a vaccine and so that's that's we assume that there is a deep uh, knowledge, and, and we imagine that there's scientists pondering uh, these difficult questions. In truth, they're kind of operational. And you spoke about Russia, and you understand bureaucracies, and that's what we're dealing with is a bureaucratic environment driven by checklists and uh, an administration pushing those people. I mean, one of the breakdowns that's happened is the independence of the FDA no longer exists. Another one of your core assumptions is that these we are paying for these people that are doing this review. That's no longer true. They work for the pharmaceutical industry. They are paid by the pharmaceutical industry. That's who they work for. That's where their money comes from. How did that happen? Pharmaceutical industry lobbyists convinced Congress that they should stop having to have the American taxpayers pay for FDA review. They should put all those charges onto the industry. The industry was very glad to do that. Because now the FDA works for the industry. Your comments kind of reveal some common assumptions that most people have about the way things are, but they aren't that way. What we have allowed to happen in the United States, and the world, as you said, believes, has believed up till now, that the FDA and the CDC represent the pinnacle of integrity in regulatory affairs and research oversight for clinical products. Let me tell you a story. I was in a group of scientists and and physicians and politicians and thought leaders in Portugal a few weeks ago when I was in Portugal. We did a round table and then we took Q&A from the audience, about 50 people, selected people. And one of the women in the front row said to me, "Um, we have always believed, we Portuguese, that uh, the FDA and the CDC were the gold standard for research for integrity and science. And what we have now come to realize is that they're corrupt. And when she said that to me, it hit me like that. I hadn't ever thought about it that way. And sometimes, you know, from from average people comes true wisdom. And and she said this and I realized what has happened. Um, that, that in fact, she is absolutely right. And what we've allowed to happen here in the United States is a process. We use this word regulatory capture, but it is it trivializes what's happened. We've allowed industry across multiple regulatory bodies to control the whole decision making process. And examples that everybody will understand uh, include the U.S. Department of Agriculture, okay. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has been headed up by former Monsanto leadership now for well over a decade across multiple administrations, okay. Because the U.S. Department of Agriculture has two jobs: it's to regulate agriculture and it's to promote agriculture, and the promotion of agriculture has become the more important job. The promotion of big ag, okay. Another example that we'll all understand. You remember 737 Max? What a fiasco. People died. It was clearly a broken system. The Federal Aviation Administration that we have believed in was protecting us and our safety has undergone regulatory capture by Boeing. Okay, because it has the responsibility to both regulate aviation and to promote aviation and travel. Now we go to the CDC. The CDC has two core missions that relates to vaccines, promotion of vaccine uptake and oversight of vaccine safety. And most of the money that they're getting in this outbreak is to promote vaccines. And so the people that are supposed to be monitoring safety are underfunded. No surprise then, they don't have the personnel and the time and the staffing and the capabilities to analyze the safety signals but the promotion people are all over the media talking to CNN and everything else, okay? So, and then we come to the FDA, as I just said, the industry has convinced uh, the US legislature to shift the costs of regulating drugs to the pharmaceutical industry. This is, reminds me, I don't know if you know the story of Brer Rabbit and the Briar Patch. Uh, this is a common American Southern story. Brer Rabbit is a character and and he gets caught and he's going to get eaten by the wolf and he tells the wolf oh don't throw me in that briar patch over <laughs> right. there that would be horrible right right and in fact that's where Briar rabbit lives wanted. it's in yes. the briar patch okay it's like the pharmaceutical industry saying oh oh don't make us pay um and you know and then they own the fda so that's kind of the situation we're in and frankly we let it happen the question is, what can we do about it now? And I'm not sure. That was, that,
1: that, that's, that was actually my, my next question. When and how do we step in? You know, uh, because clearly you say the government and the CDC and FDA are so, so profoundly corrupt that they have this willingness to engage in what is actually human experimentation. these vaccines.
2: You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. And and it's being driven by, it's being enabled by a regulatory structure that is not designed to protect us. It's designed to protect the pharmaceutical industry and promote the pharmaceutical industry. And that pharmaceutical industry in the United States, which charges much more money to us than it does to most other nations, our cost for our drugs is huge compared to most nations. They generate all this revenue and they use that revenue, it's weaponized, to control our legislature and to control our regulatory bodies. And where do we go from here? There's a short-term answer and a long-term answer. And forgive me, but I'm gonna riff on this, uh over the short term, we all face this problem. We are being controlled through fear. That's another thing that's controlled is the media is now all owned, the legacy media. We're constantly bombarded by messages from CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post and all of the standard outlets about how horrible this virus is. And we're all going to die, okay, if if we get infected from this. and. When I got infected in late February of 2020, and I was deep in the data, I knew exactly what was going on in China. I was afraid I was going to die. But this is way later. Now we know the statistics. We know that for almost everybody watching this, your risk of death or hospitalization is a fraction of a fraction of 1%. Okay, you're not gonna, for most of you, there is no way you're gonna die from this. What you will do is develop natural immunity. So we gotta fight that whole fear thing. And for our children, if your children are otherwise healthy, they have virtually a 0% chance of getting hospitalized or dying from this virus. They have really strong immune systems. So we gotta fight that. And then the truth is, that we're looking at Delta Plus moving into the population throughout the world this winter. And I just come back from- Delta Plus. Delta Plus. I just come back from Hawaii. And just to illustrate the point, there are two monoclonal antibody cocktails available in the United States right now for early treatment. One of them is produced by Regeneron. The other is produced by some other companies. And the federal government notified uh, Hawaiian public health, that they would no longer allow importation of the other monoclonal antibody preparation into Hawaii because it was not active against Delta Plus, And over 5% of the Hawaiian population cases are now Delta Plus. And so they would only allow Hawaii as a state to buy the Regeneron cocktail because the other one's no longer effective. Why? because the virus has evolved to escape those antibodies, just as it's evolved to escape these vaccines. Um, These vaccines are for a virus that is no longer circulating, okay? They are what we call mismatched. So the point is that this virus is evolving rapidly. Delta Plus is coming. It will sweep through our populations. What are we gonna do about it? Because that's where we're at. It's kind of a street fight right now. And and how do you protect your children? How do I protect my grandchildren? How do we protect our elders in particular, the people that are at high risk? And the only answer I can come up with, it's not a vaccine, it's not taking a third jab. That's got a whole, every time you take another shot, you have all of those risks associated with that shot yet again, plus the risk of actually suppressing your immune response. There's a short-term suppression and there's a long-term suppression. It's not as simple as we're being told. Um, so we have to come together and find solutions that are gonna protect us over the next few months. And I think there's ways that we can do this, but it has to be community-based. People have to be provided with information and you're helping with that, with what you're doing, but they can go on the various websites for early treatment and find information. There are over-the-counter drugs that, they're, that if you take them early, it can keep you out of the hospital that's what we have to do is keep people out of the hospital okay and many doctors dr zelenko gets a lot of credit for being one of the first there's two physicians in the imperial valley in california they're both older they're working way beyond what they, they should both be retired at this point um, and they've saved thousands and thousands of people in the imperial valley of california largely the poor largely farm workers They're not getting rich on this by by making available early treatment protocols. There's very good staged early treatment protocols. We need to set up networks so that we can call on people in our community and make sure they're okay. Because one of the tragedies is we have old people who are feeble. Um, They don't have very good access to information on the internet and they get sick, they try to go to the hospital. The hospital says, you're not sick enough yet. Go home and get sicker. Think about this, go home and get sicker, and then come back when your body is really damaged and we'll admit you, okay? In the meantime, good luck, you're on your own. Let us know, you know? And these old people go to their home, they're alone, they're socially isolated, and they die alone it is such a tragedy. So let's find ways to be able to connect to those people and follow up with them, make sure they're getting contacted, make sure they have access to some of these early intervention medicines, make sure that everybody has information. And we can't rely on the system right now and the main media to provide that information. They're completely failing us. But there are things we can do number one don't be afraid number two um get informed get information number three organize locally to make sure that you can help support your community so these people are not alone and i think if we do that we can get through this next wave now the long term the only solution is political and legal the government is now lawless they are doing things that are against the law and they don't care. But forcing people to take an experimental medical product is illegal. It is in federal law. We call it the common rule. It is not legal. Forcing the military to take an unlicensed product and then relabeling it, calling it the licensed product, which is what I'm telling military people are coming to me and telling me this is what they're doing because there's a law that the military cannot administer unlicensed vaccines to its personnel. This is a law that came out of what happened with the desert storm and, and the anthrax vaccine shots where a lot of military personnel were damaged and they're not allowed to give unlicensed products. So the president commands them to vaccinate the troops with an unlicensed product and so they there's a colonel now in the Pentagon who will, will retire soon, so he doesn't have to worry anymore. That's why they picked him. They they got a colonel to write a set of orders that are clearly illegal, that all military personnel have to be vaccinated with a vaccine that's not licensed, which is illegal. And what they're doing is they're telling the military personnel, oh, we're giving you the licensed vaccine commodity, but that vaccine doesn't exist. And so the other thing they're doing is they're taking the Pfizer vaccine and they're putting labels on it, calling it comirnaty, which is by the way, a felony. Okay. They don't care. The law is no longer relevant. We have a government that is out of control. And the problem is the lawyers are fighting this. I mean, they the lawyers are like with all these mandates in the industry and academe, which the government is forcing them to do by saying, well, if you don't vaccinate your people, like if you're a hospital manager, if you don't vaccinate the people that work in your hospital, we're no longer going to compensate you for Medicare Medicaid. In other words, we're going to put you out of business Mm -hmm. financially. Okay? If you're an academic leader, you're president of a university, you're being told, if you don't force all your kids, your students to get vaccinated, then we're gonna take away your federal grants and contracts. There's been a new policy put in place by NIH that if you wanna have a federal grant or contract, you have to have everybody vaccinated. So that's how they're doing it. They're doing it through financial coercion and they're doing it across the board. And the problem that all these academics and these companies are gonna face is that in this whole chain, the vaccine companies have been indemnified The government is protected. They're not going to have financial liability, okay? People are going to get damaged and harmed. That will happen. And they have very little recourse for getting compensated for their damages for hospitalization or whatever. Who are they going to sue? The one group that is in this food chain that is not indemnified is the university presidents and the corporate uh, leadership, et cetera, date that the, the phrase is used, you know, on Wall Street, who's going to be the bag holder? Mm-hmm. It's those guys and gals that are going to have to take the legal liability. And I can tell you that the lawyers are lining up. This is like gold rush for lawyers. You know, we're going to be, I predict we're going to be seeing little adverts on CNN at some point. That instead of saying, get your mesothelioma book, it's going to be get your COVID damages book. You know, um, the, the lawyers are, are going to have a heyday with this. The problem is that once these legal precedents get set, it's going to take about a year or two. It will go to the Supreme Court. Um, and these large organizations are going to face massive class action suits the other one that's happened that's really clear to me because of who i deal with and the information i get access to there appears to be a clear pattern of suppression of early treatment options by people in the government and we know these various drugs hydroxychloroquine ivermectin and others there is a strat- there has been a strategy to delegitimize this and we've seen it It's most obvious in the Ivermectin is a horse drug thing, that huge media push, okay? And you'll call that was capped off by somebody in social media at FDA posting a tweet using the pejorative uh, Southern language, you know, don't you know that Ivermectin is a horse drug, y'all, basically is what they said. It was really demeaning for people around me here in Virginia and in the South. it, It was totally inappropriate there's an email of Janet Woodcock congratulating the person that wrote that tweet for having done that. And it, ticked, it set off this whole media storm on Rachel Maddow, et cetera, pushing this grossly false narrative that ivermectin is a horse drug. I, I love to say this in rallies and things, okay? So I'm going to say it to your audience. There's another drug, that recent papers have clearly demonstrated is effective when administered for COVID disease early on. And it's a horse drug, it's another horse drug. It's used by horses and veterinarians and in dogs. It's called aspirin, okay?
1: That's unexpected.
2: (laughs) So I'm sure we're gonna find aspirin coming off the shelves, but we all know that aspirin is really good for helping with blood clotting. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems with this vaccine is it triggers blood clots so does the disease itself and aspirin it turns out is effective the drug that i pioneered the stomach acid drug that's sold as pepcid is also effective the the scientific name is famotidine that's the chemical name and we now have clinical trials starting funded by department of defense major clinical trials for the combination of pepcid and celebrex Celebrex is an arthritis drug, otherwise called celecoxib and, the, and there's good scientific ba- basis for why these two drugs are used together to treat this disease, both in the outpatient and the inpatient environment. And we've been given full clearance by FDA. DOD insists that everything for us, for repurposing drugs, everything has got to be done by the books. And so we've been through, it's taken a year and a half to get to this point, but we're now launching those. So my point is, only that there are a number of these repurposed drugs available. And we've seen this coordinated attack by mainstream media, backed by pharma, pharma, and enabled by the FDA and the CDC and the NIH to take down these uh, repurposed drugs that are off patent, incredibly cheap, uh, but compete with the drugs that Tony Fauci is now pushing, that are being developed largely with U.S. your taxpayer money uh, by Pfizer and Merck, and uh, not you'll notice the absence of advocacy on the part of the federal government about the monoclonal antibody cocktails. Fascinating note: Ron DeSantis championed that, as you'll recall, and and what did the government do in response to his success down in Florida? They said. Oh, we're going to restrict your availability on these uh, monoclonal ant. What? How does that make any sense? There's something, as I say, there's just so many signs of deep corruption, Uh, but there are early treatments available. They are cheap, they're effective, but you have to get them on board early. The last key point to hit, there is no rationale for vaccinating the children, none. There is no benefit to the children, with the exception of those that have significant pre-existing disease. There's about 400 children that have died with COVID. That doesn't mean they died of Mm -hmm. COVID. Since the beginning of the outbreak, every single one of those had major pre-existing medical conditions. For healthy, normal children that aren't morbidly obese, and don't have cystic fibrosis or some other major pre-existing condition, their chance of getting hospitalized or dying from this is, like I said, zero. But their chance of having damage to their heart is about six times their risk from the virus itself. It's still small. Don't get alarmed. But it happens. And the damage that's caused by the to the heart doesn't go away. It doesn't heal. It scars. Okay. So what is, who cares? So the heart scars, those scars create little areas in your heart that conduct electricity differently. What that translates to in common language is an increased risk of cardiac arrhythmias. What are cardiac arrhythmias? we heard atrial fibrillation, ventricular fibrillation, These are things that cause you to die suddenly because your heart stops working because it doesn't beat in a uniform way. And we know that's a risk of scarring in the heart. So when we, when you hear these stories from the CDC, oh, it's mild myocarditis that's going to the hospital. There's no such thing as mild myocarditis in a child and it doesn't happen. It's only happening after these vaccines and to some extent after the, after the virus itself. So there's no reason to vaccinate the children. Don't do it.
1: Sir, yeah, just yesterday FDA approved the Pfizer shots for children as young as five.
2: From a fact, from a stacked committee, seven of the 11 of which, or 12 total, one abstained, seven of them had demonstrable ties to Pfizer. I mean, the system is deeply corrupt.
1: And uh, as another you know proof of the system being corrupt, even before the FDA met, by the Biden administration last week, they officially announced that they have acquired twenty eight million doses of Pfizer uh, vaccine for children, even before it it got approved, because, even before it got to the committee.
2: it's It's a kangaroo court. I hear from folks that have been in the former Soviet Union or in Portugal. It was fascinating being there because they were under another authoritarian regime, Salazar. And the people, the, you know, that only ended in the 70s. So a lot of the adults and older people in Portugal, they, they remember what authoritarianism is about, just like you know. This is
1: why it is so scary to see it and, happening here.
2: And then I was just giving testimony to the Hasidic Jews. They have cultural memory coming from the Holocaust. And all of these people are saying, look, wake up. These are the signs. These are the signs of creeping authoritarianism control. Pay attention. This is not normal. This is not OK. Um, and so I, I honor you for speaking out and in recognizing this and trying to warn people. I don't know what has happened to our government and there the press has said for a long time that the threat of authoritarianism was going to come from the right but it hasn't it's important to recognize and you know we culturally we don't like to talk about what happened in germany in the 1930s Mm -hmm. but the socialist party was a left-wing party in germany that took over okay to assume that Authoritarianism is only gonna come from the right is foolish, it's naive. And we're seeing it now. And what amazingly we seem to have had happen is we've allowed the World Economic Forum, Bill Gates, and a CIA shop basically located at Johns Hopkins to run a series of war games over years and years and years come up with a battle plan of how to respond to a true, highly lethal pandemic that for some reason has always ended up with authoritarian measures. You put together a bunch of folks coming from that community and that's what you get. And they've developed a battle plan, basically a response plan, and they are implementing it. And what they've done is they have trained world leaders like the governor of California, like Justin Trudeau, like people from the Central Communist Party in China, world leaders, the woman that is managing a lot of the pandemic response in Australia with the rubber bullets. These are all people that have been trained in these war games that have been run at Hopkins. And they they are not the, the intellectual giants of the world. They're a bunch of bureaucrats and functionaries And they've been taught this process this is what we're going to do Now, normally anybody trained in war in the art of war knows that your battle plan is only as good until you first encounter the enemy and then you have to adapt it Mm -hmm. these people have never changed their battle plan based on the reality of what this virus represents it is not a highly lethal virus and we do not have a highly effective vaccine they don't care they got their little plan. It's just like the FDA. they got their checklist. This is what we do next. This is what we do next. And by the way, a bunch of media leadership have been involved in all of those uh, war games. Those are the people that we're listening to on CNN. Those are the people that are writing for the New York Times. They've all been indoctrinated that this is what we have to do. This is how we have to control the population. This is how we get out of the pandemic. But the reality is completely different. And that's why you and so many others are looking around and saying, but, but, but this vaccine doesn't work. It doesn't protect us from infection. Why are we all being forced to take it in our workplace when it's not gonna ensure that our workplace is safe? Why are our children being forced to take it?
1: Pregnant women. Because
2: pregnant, oh, that's a whole nother can of worms. That is totally unjustified. We don't have the data to show safety in pregnancy. So. Common, you know, normal, I want to say common people in the world, you know, we're really all the same. Yeah, I've had specialty training. You've had specialty training. They're just different, right? And I committed a stupid long time to my training, okay? But so I know things and I do things that's different from what you do, but that doesn't make us different. That doesn't make me more special than you. And it doesn't mean that I have some super brain power. People can see truth. They know it, they know it in their bones. They can sense that there's something wrong here. Often they don't have the framework, the, the, the words to think about it because this isn't what they do for a living. You know, they, they drive a bus or do other things. They're policemen, mm-hmm. they're airline pilots, but they, they know that there's something wrong here because the, the management that's coming from the top on us doesn't fit with what they know to be the ground truth. And um, and that, I think, is the big, big question. Why?
1: Well, so what is
2: behind this?
1: What is behind this, really? You say that they are not flexible. They are sticking to that scenario. Do you think it is because they are just being so so very unadaptive bureaucrats? Is it because of their very conservative in a bad, bad sense of words um, type of thinking? Or is it because they just simply got drunk on power and they really like this position when they can decide on life and death of millions of people?
2: Or, or they, they feel like they're locked in. So I don't know the answer. I'm not a psychologist. And I can't get inside of Tony Fauci's head or Bill Gates' head. I'm convinced that both of those people have distorted views of the world. They, they, are, not, uh, they are not in touch with most people. They live in their own special reality of, of power and protection. They're surrounded by sycophants that are telling them whatever they want to hear. You know, they travel... In, in international spaces, on private jets, with uh, people that are like them. And they don't really deal with people like you and me. And now their authority is being threatened. It's not being, they're not threatened by me, I guarantee. And they're not threatened by you, they're threatened by facts. And the facts are inconvenient. And so what is their reaction? oh, we're going to suppress the facts, right? Because they're inconvenient, because they make us look bad. Not because what, what we're encountering is people, I, I don't think you could deny, we don't, we're not encountering people who are committed to public health, to protecting you and me. We're encountering people that are committed to defending their own privilege and their own perks and their own status. Mm-hmm. And it's, all, it's very much about them. I mean, how can you look at Tony Fauci and not realize it's all about Tony, right? Um, Oh yeah. It's all about Tony, right? And and he's constantly on the media. He has multiple, I mean, the guy is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. What does he need 30 media people for? This is crazy. Why is he personally the only one allowed to speak of of all the scientists at the NIH? Because it's all about Tony. He's been able to amass this massive amount of power. And then you've got Bill Gates, who has virtually bought the World Health Organization um, because of a series of circumstances. Uh, And then above all of that, you've got these four major investment firms that all own each other, like BlackRock and Vanguard. And all of these companies that are giving this messaging all over the world, the media companies, the IT companies, um, the pharmaceutical companies, all of this matrix that's now horizontally integrated is really all divisions of one company. What we're seeing is the consequences of, of consolidation of finances, of money and power globally. and. That's, you know, we had the Sherman Antitrust Act here in the United States to break up the power of these big blocks of capital. But what's happened now is that capital is no longer constrained by nation state. Mm -hmm. These blocks of money are independent of countries. They're more powerful than countries. They tell the U.S. Treasury what to do. They tell the U.S. Federal Reserve what to do. It's not the other way around anymore, okay? They control economies. They can make or break you and I like that, you know, and and everybody around us by making a financial decision. And, And they are amoral. They're not, they don't operate in a world where they care about morality. They operate in a world in which all they care about is return on investment. And we become pawns. We become just, you know, the metaphor has been used. I don't know of a better one. We're like cattle. We, we are just economic units that can be moved about in whatever way to suit them. And they're constantly looking for best return on investment. If they can get a better return on investment by doing something, manufacturing sugar or, or shoes or whatever by going to Eastern Europe or to Vietnam or to China, or wherever, that's where the money will go. It, and it's the money is coming from what you do and I do. This sounds kind of Marxist, but it's but it's fundamental. We're the ones that are creating value, and they're the ones that are drawing that value off and building their own huge economic portfolios. And that's what's, in my mind, what's really behind it. And that and they, their tool that they've used has been this series of war games that they've funded and trained politicians on how to implement. And I, I gotta say, my thinking on all this was really, I resisted so strongly thinking about things in this way. And, and I had many people coming to me and, and pointing out information about Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset and all this, and I resisted that. I just didn't want to think about that. It wasn't possible. Then I read Bobby Kennedy's book, and I edited it twice. He asked me to help him with that. And when I finished that book, I thought I understood what was going on in our government. I thought I understood what was going on at NIH with Tony Fauci. And the first time I read that book, I was depressed for two weeks just realized how profoundly distorted everything has become. And that together with this comment from this Portuguese woman rocked my world. I was left aware that everything that I had assumed about the way things were and all the training I'd received and the world, the way way that I believed things worked, that there were rules, that we all obey these rules, that these rules were designed to keep us safe and protect us and to ensure that there was equity and proper way of doing things, I realized that that was just grossly naive. And now, intellectually, I'm in a position where I don't know what things look like on the other side. I don't know what the rules are anymore. They don't seem to be any rules. It's whatever those in power say, is what goes and you've lived under this system you know what we're talking about and you know where this goes problem is this would be great in plato's republic where we have a benign benevolent dictator that is infinitely aware of everything and wise and profound unfortunately we've yet to see that person right what we find is that people at the top of these authoritarian structures become corrupted, they're not wise, they're not fully informed, and they end up serving their own interests and those around them. And it happens again and again. We all know this expression, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I don't know what I encounter in moving about in the world, it, you know doing all this travel and talking to people, Latin America, Europe, Asia, Many people have become very distrustful of centralized authority and they're seeking other ways, some other way to organize ourselves. And they don't like communism. We've proven that doesn't work. Um, but they sure don't like this kind of central command authoritarianism in kind of we-know-best collectivism that, that we're now seeing play out. It's coming. I mean, the term in after the French Revolution of Jacobins applies if and this is kind of sophisticated political language you're talking about. Many of you know, current French leadership think of themselves as Jacobins. This idea that they know what's good for all of us. Greater good. And they're going to implement it, whether we like it or not. And we're seeing, in my opinion, the consequence of that kind of Jacobin thinking uh, that there's an elite and they know what's best for us and they're going to give it to us good and hard. And I don't want to live in that world. And I suspect you don't, or no, you wouldn't no, be here.
1: Thank
2: you. The problem is that they, these forces that are trying to implement this kind of strategy are highly coordinated. They've been planning this for decades The rest of us are kind of waking up slowly going, whoa, what happened? (laughs) I don't get it. How did this all happen? How did we end up with a media that was so coordinated, censoring? I like to say, it said in a rally in in, um, Oahu uh, last week, it said, do you remember the time when we all felt sorry for the Chinese? Because their government was controlling their access to information, their government was controlling their internet, their government was controlling what they can do, where they can move, that they, their government was forcing them to have internal passports. Remember when we all felt sorry for the Chinese? Wake up, because here we are.
1: Don't you think COVID-19 happened very conveniently? And what's your opinion on SARS-CoV-2 origin?
2: I'm increasingly convinced that the data are showing and the sequence data indicate that this was an engineered virus. Was it engineered through natural selection and passaging in in animals and animal models that were engineered there? Or was it, it was engineered through molecular mechanisms like uh, the uh, CRISPR-Cas9 system, but it was engineered. And that's the appearance. I have, I have some unique insight into this. I think a little bit unique. I first shared it with the Ryder-Fullmark group when they were uh, asking me to testify in Germany. I was called by a CAA officer on January 4th who was in Wuhan telling me I needed to get my group spun up because this virus was a major threat, okay? He was there under cover of his Harvard medical student, his Harvard Medical School appointment. He was in Wuhan in the fourth quarter of 2019. His name is Michael Callahan. He is a CIA officer. He is one of our top experts in biowarfare. He has directed programs on gain-of-function research, okay? He has held a senior position at DARPA. He was in Wuhan at the time, and he was very familiar with what was happening with this virus. Later, a month later, he told me, we have looked at this virus and it has no genetic hallmarks of any kind of laboratory manipulation, okay? Then about a month and a half ago, a very senior colleague of mine, who's a GS-15, that's a very high, that's the civilian equivalent of a brigadier general, who works for DOD, called me, and and I've known this guy since he was a postdoc. He called me and he said, Robert, I want you to start talking about Michael Callahan. He was not in China. He lied. We had no personnel there at that time. Okay. Now, for me, that's a red flag. That's basically saying, this is a high-level government official in Defense Threat Reduction Agency that I've worked with for decades telling me straight out to shut up and what I know from my own ears and eyes isn't true. The problem with that is that Michael went on the record with Science Magazine, and there's a whole article about Famatadine in which Michael talks about having been in Wuhan at that time. Michael, I know Michael escaped Wuhan as the quarantine was dropping by boat because he wasn't authorized to be there by the Communist Party. Okay, And what did they do with him after they picked him up off the boat? He then managed the Diamond Princess outbreak. And then he came back and worked for Bob Cadillac at Asper in HHS overseeing BARDA, okay? So were we involved in that? The documents are pretty clearly showing that that gain of function research in that Wuhan lab was funded by the NIH and was funded by DITRA, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, the people that I work closely with, okay? And the thing about gain of function research is called dual purpose research. Mm-hmm. Dual-purpose research is classified by its very nature. Why is it called dual-purpose research? It can be used for biodefense and protection and knowledge. It can also be used for biowarfare. There's another aspect to this that I mentioned to the Germans and people haven't really recognized. There's a hole in the Biowarfare Treaty. Everybody needs to know this globally. The Biowarfare Treaty that was signed with the Soviet Union by the United States government as a consequence of us developing highly lethal bio-warfare agents that would stop tank commanders from the Soviet Union on a blitzkrieg before they got to the English Channel. That's why we developed it, okay? That treaty prohibits lethal agents. It does not prohibit incapacitating agents, okay? And incapacitating agents are, are not blocked We are not, the people that I work with know that incapacitating agents represent a major threat and the converse is also true.
1: Would you explain that, what are those agents and how do they
2: work? Classic examples are the equine encephalitis viruses. They are readily aerosolized, you can inhale them. We're developing vaccines and drugs against them and they can be deployed into a local area and if you inhale them and get infected you get encephalitis you get a brain infection it typically doesn't kill you but it makes you so sick that you're not going to fight so the new warfare the new world is all about special ops it's about small strike teams we've seen that seals and we hear these words that's where modern warfare is it's small strike teams backed by drones This is the new warfare. It's not big tanks and armies and boom, boom. That's that's yesterday. Okay. It's small, highly competent strike forces that are able to be inserted, to take out a tactical target in a tactical region or do whatever the task is and backed by drones of various types. There's a whole spectrum of drones. I mean, one of the big, I was with a, a security expert that does security for very, very wealthy people you know business leaders and stuff like that the thing he's most worried about is consumer drones as assassination tools okay that's the new world we're in and these kinds of incapacitating agents can be deployed by drone strategically to knock out threats within a region and then one can insert your strike forces to go do whatever it is they want to do the other threat that is that is our government is very aware of, is that by understanding the genetics of different populations, ergo races, it's possible theoretically to engineer pathogens that will selectively target different ethnic groups. That's the new reality, and we kinda gotta all get attuned to that's what we're dealing with, is a, a totally different world in which biologic agents, drones, and other things, and media manipulation, propaganda control, censorship, is all integrated to enable global power. If you look at the Pfizer contracts that are leaked, and I've had lawyer friends that looked at those that went, good heavens, I can't imagine that I would ever get terms like that. You know, I, I'm a slacker. Look at what Pfizer's done, this is amazing. They're leveraging governments. If you step back from that and look at, you know, from above what's going on, it's a new OPEC. Access to these technologies of rapid response vaccine development is being leveraged for geopolitical benefit. It is a new vehicle for exerting global economic and political power. And the developing countries and the Middle East know it. Okay, they know they're being had by the Western nations. China knows it. China is busy trying to do a deal with Pfizer right now, by the way. The thing about the RNA tech is not these vaccines. These vaccines are just the entry point. The RNA tech makes it possible to make customized vaccines fast, okay, based on genetic information and the whole manufacturing process is standardized, whereas with regular vaccines and regular biologics, it takes a long, long time to develop a manufacturing process and release and testing and blah, blah, blah for a new product. With the RNA tech, basically you just change the sequence inside the RNA and the whole rest of the formulation chemically, it stays the same. And it makes it possible to make these things really fast and at small scale. That is transformational. It's transformational for personalized medicine, cancer, but it also makes it possible to make customized vaccines at, on short notice that can be deployed into you know, small populations. If if, you're, if you think that the bad guys, metaphorically speaking, have come up with some new pathogen and they're working on it in this geographic area, okay, It means that you, once you get a sample of that pathogen, you can sequence it, you can generate a vaccine for it, you can vaccinate your special forces, they can go in and deploy and take out whatever that group is that's building this new thing. That's one version of that story. Okay? Another version of that story is if you want to come up with a new weaponized incapacitating agent, then it's really easy to make a new vaccine to protect the people that are going to deploy that strategically into fill-in-the-blank, area now would our government ever do that oh, I can't imagine has the CIA ever assassinated duly elected leaders in other countries uh like I don't think I have enough fingers to count right um uh, so this this is the reality that's behind all this and we need to wake up that was a riff
1: yes <laughs> wow this is. This is actually even scary to think about, and yet this reality, and like you said, this it's unfolding before our eyes. But like you said, there are strategies that people can use to try to try to resist. I know that the enemy is powerful and well organized and well funded, but th- there there is a chance, like you said, organizing and informing people of the threat that they may be not even aware of. This is very important. And uh, I believe that our conversation today was a step in that direction. I hope so. Yes, I really do so. Thank you very much, sir, for, for hosting us here this beautiful day in your beautiful farm and uh, for your candid and very, very strong arguments. We do appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, I Dr. Think, Malone. I think, um, Knowledge and information is the, the one thing I can help with. And I, I'm not going to go lead. I'm not a, a leader of major protests and social movements. But I, I appreciate your willingness to provide an opportunity to share what I know and uh, your interest in the topic and your leadership in as somebody in alternative media that is willing and able to uh, provide information to people and let them make their own decisions.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Malone, for this amazing conversation. This is Veronica Kirilenko for The New American.
3: Are you concerned with where America is headed? If not, you should be. So let's get busy on solutions. At the John Birch Society, our staff and members have over 60 years of experience in pushing back on outrageous abuses of government. Our tools are truth and education. Our methods are tried and true with scores of successful operations. Join together with the tens of thousands of members of the John Birch Society nationwide to make a difference. We have professional staff strategically placed all over the nation and will provide the training you need to be a success. We will provide the materials you need to be a success. We will provide the esprit de corps that comes with working in concert with tens of thousands of members nationwide on the same goals. If you want a bellyache and do nothing, don't join because we don't want you. But if you're a patriot, and you love our country, and want to preserve the blessings of liberty to the next generation, then we need you in the fight today. Not soon, today. Let me clarify, today. Go to JBS.org and get involved right now. And remember, the Constitution is the solution.